Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. We're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 313 of The Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Brutzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 5-1 win over 1. FC Köln, Paco Alcázar joining Villarreal and Emre Can, where we don't know if he joins Dortmund but we are pretty sure at the time of this recording and we will preview Borussia Dortmund's home match against FC Union Berlin and for all that and more joins me Matthias Zuck. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? The podcast got a prediction right. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing very well myself. Yeah, I uh, I also predicted that there would be some gloating from my part, but now that it's Thursday, I had or- already forgotten about me getting a prediction right once in my life. So, But yeah, nevertheless, uh, a very happy event because uh, I was predicting a, <laughs> a big win, not like a terrible loss or anything. So... Uh, We've all got that going for us, which is nice. Um, which is also nice is that this episode is sponsored by Mark Finke, who greets from Ostfriesland or East Friesland, <laughs> as uh, the British would say. Um, so thanks for that, Mark. And uh, we are also sponsored this week by BVB Norway, the Borussentrolle, the official Norwegian fan club of Borussia Dortmund. You can find them on their webpage bvbnorge.no on Facebook page slash bvbnorge and Facebook group Norske with a K bvb supporters and via Twitter on at bvbnorway1909 and as a little tidbit Nico Vadoy who is the guy who contacted us uh, also points out that uh, if you want to check out or connect with other Borussia Dortmund fans in your area you can check out his BVB world map on uh, maphardnet slash Nico Vadoy slash BVB underscore world map. Uh, Vadoy is uh, spelled V-A-D-O-Y and Nico is spelled with a C. I will obviously put all the uh, links in the show notes and uh, on this world map you can find uh, all the BVB fan clubs, pubs that show up, Borussia Dortmund matches and uh, other current locations that are connected to Borussia Dortmund, so very worthwhile for every Dortmund fan out there. Also, if you want to sponsor an episode, then uh, go to patreon.com slash for more information. And that should conclude the housekeeping for this week. Matthias, before we talk about the transfers, we can talk about Borussia Dortmund's 5-1 win, correctly predicted by yours truly, against FC Köln. This is Marco Royce. Jaden Sancho on the overlap. And in the middle, and what a start for Dortmund! They're up and running! Less than a minute on the clock, and Rafael Guerrero has given Lucien Favre's side the dream start. Kern caught completely cold. Hummels launches it long for Royce. The flag has stayed down. It's Marco Royce, and it's 2 0 Dortmund. 
This is Union Brandt, Marco Royce, who got the second goal, Jaden Sancho. Still Jaden Sancho! Oh, it's magnificent from Jaden Sancho! He's away, he's Asraf Hakimi. And Horn's punched back into the box. He's going to fall for Guerrero, and Haaland has got it! A star is well and truly born in the Bundesliga. Erling Haaland, the flag has stayed down. It's Erling Haaland, he's passed Horn. Guerrero's in the middle, and he doesn't need him. Erling Haaland's fairy tale introduction to the Bundesliga continues apace. I was expecting this exact match more or less that Dortmund would score early and and many and then in the end they'd bring on Haaland and score another couple by by the substitute. So um, I would say that was all and all a very happy start to Borussia Dortmund's domestic home form. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you could see Lucien Favre was obviously very pleased after the match and also in his press conference before the next match. Uh, I do have to uh, disagree with the uh, statements from Marcus Gistol after the match where he basically said, okay, I guess Dortmund kind of deserved to win, but we played really, really well and uh, didn't deserve to lose this high and stuff like that. It was like, well, you know, if you would know how to defend, um, then you wouldn't concede that many goals. So I think uh, also it was a very good match. Uh, yes, of course, there are things we're going to have to talk about on the negative side for Dortmund, but on the positive side, uh, overall relatively clinical, um, out of 14 shots, scoring five goals. It's pretty good. Uh, I was a little surprised. I didn't realize until after the match that Dortmund only had one corner in the entire match, which is kind of crazy. And we're only offsides once. <laughs> um, so, uh, which was interesting simply because, of course, uh, Köln did play relatively high. You know, they didn't sit deep. It's a different, Köln was a different beast than what Union Berlin will present, uh, this coming weekend. Um, so that no, was a great match. It was a great performance. Haaland was his five goals in 57 minutes. I think so it took him 57 minutes. Okay, 59 minutes, but still it took him 59 minutes to score as many goals as Paco Alcacer has scored all season. And of course, that will be a topic later in the podcast, but uh, no, very pleasing, very happy. Yeah, I mean, what really um, pleased me <laughs> is the, the fact that Dortmund struggled severely against Cologne because they played with a back four uh, in, in the first game and uh, Cologne just had two strikers marking the two center backs and then as i said on the previous show isolated the full backs and the uh central midfielders of of Dortmund were in the cover shadows and Dortmund's entire build up broke down and uh then i don't know if it's half a year later but uh the reverse fixture Dortmund have uh overcome their tactical struggles now play with the back 3 and Cologne cannot Mark that and they leave open Mats Omelz, <laughs> who then plays a long ball, which unlocks that first goal. And, uh, you know, obviously we have seen that, uh, Hummels ball now several times. And, uh, it was an absolute masterclass from, from him. That, uh, ball to Marco Royce for the 2-0, I think it was, was just a peach and you can just rewatch it time and time again. Um, but, Overall, that the the fact that the problem, the tactical problem that Dortmund had in the first game against Cologne, 
and you know the instant solution to to that problem to to see the development of Dortmund um in in the second game was something that made me personally very happy obviously uh there are also pitfalls with that system that Dortmund are playing but especially against a team like Cologne who who like to do that and play with a high line and whatnot um i think the the first goal was you know just made me very happy And obviously also great that it was Rafael Guerrero who scored, who overall had an excellent game, I have to say. So, um, yeah, I think how many seconds were it? 43 or so un until Guerrero scored. Um, and that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. put Dortmund on, on the right track for this win. And uh, it felt like this the, the W was never in doubt for me. So um, it is good to see that Mats Hummels is uh, coming out with these long balls again. And uh, I really do wonder how long we will see that. I think both Gistol and Martin Schmidt of Augsburg and Cologne respectively were, if I remember correctly, a little bit peeved about that because uh, I think both coaches said that they talked about exactly that kind of pass and uh, couldn't avoid it anyway. And also shout out to VAR because I think uh, the linesman would have flagged two goals off and uh, VAR then overturned it in the counter. Um, obviously, a lot of fans are disgruntled that this sort of kills the emotion of the game. But um, I personally, I'll, I'll take that goal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, other goals you could celebrate with the full emotion because you knew VAR weren't going to chalk it off so um i'm you know i'm i'm very pleased with the that performance overall and uh especially in the, in the first half where dortmund really didn't allow any big chances to cologne whatsoever in the, in the second half that obviously changed a little because dortmund had their typical phase of uh, lackadaisical play and right before Haaland came on they conceded Obviously by ex-Schalker Mark Uth, who was trying to score very hard in this game, I would say, and uh, forced Roman Bürki to a good save here and there before he scored, um, which was, I think, off a corner, if I'm not mistaken, like a second ball. A free kick. It was a free right. kick. Uh, struck, I believe, by Mark Uth himself, and then he just wasn't marked as he drifted into the penalty area, if I remember it correctly. Yeah, he just sort of beat the offside line with a, uh, as, as the ball was floated back into the box. It's a very typical goal for Dortmund to concede, I would say. Yeah, and it's exactly the kind of goal they need to make sure they don't concede uh, against the next opponent, who, of course, we'll talk about in a little bit. I, you know, it's interesting. You couldn't have a couple of chances there in the second half. They had plenty of shots. They had 11 shots, but really didn't force 11 saves. Um, but in the first half, they did. They, I can't even really think of much of anything. Uh, obviously, Gustav said after the match, we had plenty of chances. I don't know about that I think uh, put down nicely when he said that they had sort of like half chances or moments where it could have been dangerous but then wasn't because Cologne ruined it for themselves basically is what Favre I think tried to express oh absolutely and the thing that kind of bugged me you know after the match listening to different shows and podcasts stuff like that people say this uh well if Kuhn would have scored a second or a third goal then Dortmund would have been in trouble well no shit 
Um, you know, I mean, that's hello, hello, Captain Obvious. Uh, but they didn't. And if if here's a simple fact: whether Dortmund say Dortmund would have conceded two goals, uh, and and we give a half chance to to Köln, Dortmund had plenty of chances to score like eight goals. Um, by the end of it, so you know, five one. I think is the exact right result given the performance on both ends. Like you talked about the the weaknesses of the system, specifically with uh, the likes of Hakimi and Guerrero at the wingback position, you have a lot of space in behind them. And, you know, Uts goal also kind of came from a, a poor marking situation like that. And when the other team does have an opportunity, it's balls that are played in behind two wingbacks whose defensive positioning is questionable at times. Um, uh, I would say that when uh, Piszczek would, is in on the right and Schultz is in on the left, you have less of those things happen with a back three, but then you also have less going forward. So I guess it's kind of a trade-off. And against Köln, you could risk doing that. I think also against the next opponent, you could risk doing that as well, because obviously the pace and creativity that Carrero and Hakimi offer help unlock uh, more stingy defenses rather than what show, the more direct or um, less pacey play of, say, a Pischik on the one side or more direct play of Schultz on the other, which lacks some creativity does. So uh, the good with the bad. What was interesting for me was, uh, you know, when a team plays against Dortmund now, <laughs> they they can either press high and try to cut off that route through Brandt and Witzel, but then, like we saw, of course, Hummels is wide open to play passes in space, or they sit really deep and then they die the death of a thousand cuts. So um, Dortmund are very, very difficult to guard and defend against uh, when Dortmund are going forward right now. Well, I would add to that, uh, first of all, I would say against Union Berlin, it would be a bigger risk to play Schulz and, and Piszczek or whatever, um, because you want to have the, the creativity because that's that's really what can make the big difference. And I think Guerrero made the, a massive difference against Cologne. Um, the, the way he played, uh, I don't know how many dribbles he won and how many key... I think he had just two key passes, but um, just the, the, the positioning offensively, just opening triangles and, and all that kind of stuff that uh, helps Dortmund's flow in, in that regard. He, he was a, a key player. And, um, yeah, you're right. I think if you have an axis, be it, uh, Hummels, Brand, Royce down right the middle with, with Witzel in between, um, that's just, uh, dynamite. And what I would like to add is that, <laughs> and you saw it against Cologne quite well, is that if they want, Witzel and Brand can just keep the ball forever between just themselves because the the way they have established a sort of give and go understanding between each other is quite magnificent and since they are both quite press resistant they usually manage to beat one opponent and uh, just in the nick of time find their partner and that often unlocks a lot for, for Dortmund so I think the Witzel Brand partnership is uh, absolutely crucial and uh, so I don't I'm not really sure what will happen when and if Thomas Delaney is fully fit again and uh, how Emre Can will feature that in, in that category we'll talk about that obviously a bit later but um, you know you obviously have to rotate but I just can't can't think of a better partnership right now for Dortmund in that defensive midfield 
because for teams like Cologne, it's almost unplayable in in the way that Dortmund move the ball around because if they manage to evade one pressing wave in in midfield like that, they usually play past two or three players and then always opens a lot of space for the likes of Jane Sancho or Marco Reus or whoever to to run in and and wreak havoc. And uh, we've seen it time and time again that uh, Dortmund can very quickly move into an transition attack just by having uh, that key moment in, in midfield by produce either by Brandt or Witzel or the combination. And uh, I would just, you know, beg everyone out there to just appreciate it and enjoy it while it lasts. Um, just also in the regard of uh, Jaden Sancho and Arling Haaland, because we all know Haaland w- won't stay long and Jaden Sancho will most likely leave Dortmund in the summer. Uh, I was thinking to myself that Haaland's biggest job in the half season until 2020 will be convincing Jaden Sancho to stay another season because that would uh, help his scoring tally easily since I would assume that uh, once 2020, uh, once the season is over and we look at most assists for Haaland, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Jaden Sancho who now has 11 assists and 11 goals in the Bundesliga and I think two assists and two goals in the Champions League, which are just outrageous numbers for 19-year-olds. And uh, again, just uh, enjoy the moment and appreciate the skill and and quality of of such a very special player. Um, I think it was Chikos uh, who he beat for that 2-0. Um, assisted by, by, uh, three nil, sorry, by, um, Marco Royce. And I have to say, when you watch this goal in slow motion, you can see how often Jane Sancho moves around his, his, his weight and how he, he turns his shoulders. And Chico's the, uh, center back, he just, stumbles backwards. That's essentially what happens. Jane Sancho just buys the space that he needs to get this uh, missile of a shot off just to, uh, just, just by basically shimming on, on the spot. I don't even know how to explain it, but, uh, that's just, uh, of the, the highest grade skill if you can, um, do that to a center back. Obviously, Chicos is not the best defender in the league and other defenders will handle it probably better, but just, Seeing this guy stumble backward, uh, completely thrown off, and not knowing what's happening, and and uh, affording and awarding Sancho this little space to to get the shot off, that was to me one of the highlights of of the game when it comes down to just you know true skill. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know the the partnership that's already been established with Sancho and Holland uh, or Holland and basically anybody it seems um is pretty phenomenal it speaks to the talent of both those players um but uh, uh you know it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, and we'll talk about Chan and and what that could or couldn't change and tax tactical flexibilities then for Favre and uh, Dortmund. But I think one thing can be pretty clear that uh, um, Thomas Delaney's days at Borussia Dortmund are more than numbered at this point. Um, so, you know, but at the same time, he still can't practice, you know, he's still out. 
Uh, and that's what Favre did say, you know, aside from Thomas Delaney, everybody could practice and everybody could play. So, which is really great to hear Zagadu, that everyone Zagadu, is fit. Zagadu. Uh, exactly. And, and that's the other thing. If you think about it, you know, this was another one of those backline issues where you had Pischek in there. Um, but it was the right opponent for Pischek because there just wasn't the dynamism there uh, that would be problematic. No but once you slot in, yeah. Once, but once you slot in Zagadou on the left, move Akanji to the right, where he's way more comfortable, um, always has been, and then Hummels in the center, you have three defenders, obviously Hummels being the best one at it, but you have three defenders that are capable of playing a killer pass from the central defense, um, and that it doesn't have to be a slow buildup between, you know, with Brandt and Witzel, and that's... That's got to be really nerve-wracking for an opposition coach to try to figure out what to do. Because what we've seen in the matches, I think it was against Mainz, uh, you know, they were pressing the heck out of Zagadou and Akanji and then leaving Hummels open. And then Hummels was playing the passes and then they focused more on Hummels and then Zagadou took over. And it was just... Who who do you try to shut down? In my opinion, it's it's always Hummels because he is the best passer out of the three. Uh, but you do have that capability coming out of defense, and then obviously the dynamism on the wing back positions right now. So it's it's uh, good times at Dortmund um, and Köln were the right opponent at the right time, second week in a row scoring five goals. Uh, but it is, I am a little troubled by the strong dip in form from Holland, only scoring two goals this week. I was very yeah, disappointed it's, it's by it. Yeah, it's pretty him. much unacceptable. Um, if, if this con continues like that, he will score, uh, three own goals in like <laughs> a couple of games. Um, but no, all, all joking aside, um, what I love about <laughs> Holland in this particular game is that his first goal he scores in the yellow wall was a true poacher's goal. You know, I think Guerrero took a shot which uh, Dortmund teed up quite nicely to get this uh, shot for Guerrero. I think it just bounced quickly between Hazard and Royce. Might have been Sancho. Please don't kill me. I don't have it right in front of me. But uh, Timo Horn couldn't quite save the ball. Um, and then uh, Haaland is just, you know, like the force of nature he is comes there between those two center backs just appears and, and just smashes it home and the finesse and the audacity to <laughs> take that fight the fifth goal uh himself and not pass it to i think it was guerrero or, or the who who had uh, made the run um just tells you everything you need to know about this guy that he has the, the confidence and i think after the game uh, Roman Bürki asked him how, how he did that or, or someone else and he just said well I just felt it you know it's just the intuition of a striker um, to, to score that goal and what I really like about the uh, the second goal Haaland scored is A um, Mahmoud Dahoud is a little bit famous for overhitting a uh, perfect through ball basically that he sometimes just uh, puts a little bit too much on it and uh, didn't really matter because Haaland just beat Horn to that punch and then to you know have with with this body you know you mustn't forget how tall he is to to get the balance right to play exactly that uh spin ball into the net is uh amazing because it's not like he had uh endless seconds of time because uh there was a defender making a run and he 
could have nearly uh, cut it out, but you know, just in that little time window to get exactly that shot off from that very tight angle. And what was it like, ten meters or so to get it correct? It's, it's just very impressive. Yeah, ten meters with his weaker foot. You know, that's how uh, people always say he didn't have a left foot. No, he's left footed. Yeah, I'd like to I not. You, you get it wrong. Huh? I think he's left footed. I thought somebody. I thought somebody had, had mentioned the fact that that's his his we well I think he's pretty adept at either foot, um, but what what was interesting for me with the second goal was just that burst of pace um, that I think you know people thought people that haven't seen him before think oh he's just this big kid so he's going to be this lumbering target man uh, and he's anything but he's so dynamic and pacey but. Uh, I agree with you. His first goal was actually my favorite goal because it's the exact goal that Dalton's been missing all season. It's that striker instinct poacher goal that they haven't had since Obama Young left because the famous Obama Young tap-in goals uh, weren't there. The dynamic, creative, uh, flashy goals, Dalton have scored those, but the amount of times where a ball would be played into a dangerous area and there was just nobody there... That those times are done. Holland will be there because he's so hungry to score. He desperately wants to score. And that's the difference between a real striker and having someone who's an attacking midfielder play there or someone, um, no offense to Paco, but uh, who is also not as physically imposing uh, as, as Holland, who just will push himself into that position. Uh, so that's that the second goal is spectacular, but his first goal is exactly the goal that Dortmund need and have been missing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's just great. You know, um, it's exactly what I wanted, you know, the extra bus in the stadium when he comes on and the sort of, uh, the sense of inevitability, um, around him and to keep that sort of, uh, same mystery around him up or or whatever you want to call it um i think it was was it gistol before the game at the press conference basically said that they would just like park the team bus in front of goal um you know to to me it, it always says a lot when the opposing coach um already uses uh phrases like that for a guy who who just arrived just because uh you can already feel how he has manifested himself in, in the heads of of other people that uh you know he is uh he's a very special player and uh obviously i don't know if i've said it on the air i've definitely said it off the air what is a great perk about harland is he is a bit of a dick and uh, it's it's nice if it's your own <laughs> uh and and not at at another team and you know i think he's already in the head of all kinds of different uh, fans and 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 clubs i think you know neither rb leipzig nor bayern on twitter could help themselves but uh, have a swipe at him or, or whatever and it's nice to see that he's already in the heads of of them living there rent free and uh, I think for the foreseeable future, um, we can en enjoy that very fact. And uh, I, I also hope that uh, that will manifest itself in in the games on the on the field that uh, opponents just uh, have a lot of respect. And I mean, with his pace <laughs> and last, I think called him the White Aubameyang, <laughs> which made me love. But it, it, it's true, his burst of pace is just so impressive um, that it, it's just very tough. 
um, to play against Dortmund with a, a high line against him. Everyone will basically, um, at some point just sit back to, to avoid these goals, but, uh, it's pretty much unavoidable because he can also use that, uh, if your opponent sits deep as he showed against Augsburg in that first goal where Jane Sancho just played it behind the back line and he can just utilize that little space, that little window that's there. And Dortmund just have the players to, to assist Haaland in, in many different ways and forms. So, um, I expect him to, to score a lot of goals. I mean, he has already five. So I don't know where this leads, but I don't know. Maybe it will yield in a in a twenty goal season for him if if he stays healthy in in the Bundesliga. Wouldn't that be yeah. insane? The twenty goals in half of a season, and you're right, he is left footed. For some reason, I had him in my head as right footed, but that would be absolutely insane. But given his strike rate so far this season for both Salzburg and Dortmund uh, and Norway. It's kind of scary and not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, he has 15 games to go, right? So one one goal a game, the average. It's it's very tough, but it's not uh, it's not impossible. Because I, it's nice to be able yeah, to say that. <laughs> I know, but if you think about it, um, you know, I I assume he will get two or three goals. Uh, uh, Every every now and then, because of the the sort of player he is, you know, Matsumal said it quite nicely after the game. You know, the 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 praise for Haaland wasn't his talent. You know, the first thing that Hummels pointed out is this work ethic, and saying, well, what happened here is not just a coincidence, and it's uh, the the chances big that this sort of thing will happen again because of how how he trains. He says for a nineteen year old, this work ethic is uh, extraordinary, and. Uh, I've said before on this show, um, it's all about the hustle and, uh, this guy is going to, you know, hustle for Dortmund and, you know, he will be beloved for that, I think. But at the same time, I will warn people don't get too attached because, um, this guy is an absolute winner and Dortmund are obviously just a stepping stone for him. I think we will see him at one of the best clubs in the, in the world in like two or three seasons. So, um, yeah, but, you know, as, I said before, appreciate it while you have it, um, because in in football, to me, it's more about the journey than the destination. You know, if Dortmund finish first, second, or third, in the end, um, you know, it's all about enjoying the ninety minutes while it happens, and not uh, whether you celebrate the cup at the end of the season. It's obviously nice, but uh, again, I I implore everyone to just try to enjoy the football games as much as, as you can while they're happening. And obviously Dortmund right now with the uh, way they're set up and how their squad is composed, um, absolutely uh, have everything they need to make things very, um, let's say, entertaining, <laughs> shall we? At least for the neutrals. So, uh, and, and I agree with that. I mean, yeah, he, he may only be here two seasons uh, or two and a half seasons or whatever, uh, but it'll be pretty fantastic to watch him in that time and you can always say hey he was here he was here first um just like when sancho goes and tears it up somewhere else in the premier league odds are next um he was here first and, and i i echo what you say what i what i like about him is he's a young guy 
very young. Um, and that work ethic is something I value very highly. Cause if you think about the truly greats, whether it's in, uh, business or sports, especially, you know, if you reflect back to the unfortunate passing of Kobe Bryant, um, is these type of players, they worked so hard. Uh, love them or hate them, guys like Ibrahimovic, Cristiano Ronaldo, they work hard to get to the level where they are. Nothing is given to you. And when you look at players that are highly talented, but have a shitty attitude and are super entitled, they never achieve greatness. Ever, ever, ever. Nothing is handed to you, especially in a fickle world of athletics where the next great thing will pop up in a few moments. So uh, to see that and to hear that from team leaders uh, like Mats Hummels um, is worth a lot, especially given his age. And I think that'll have a positive knock-on effect on other young players in the squad because in the past, you know, there have been questions if Jaden Sancho really works as hard as he could. But when you see a contemporary of your age, of your generation, work so hard and achieve so much so early, I think that'll motivate other young players, like Mr. Reyna as an example, um, to also apply themselves and work hard. So uh, the knock-on effect is huge, and it speaks very highly uh, to to the kid and uh, the work ethic that's been implored upon him uh, from his coaches, uh, family, and so on down the line. Yeah, so, you know, it's just, it's just a very positive start, but I don't think it's going to be a, a one-hit wonder, so to speak. I think uh, we will see consistency in, in this sort of excellence and... Uh, you know, it's it's not like the goals he scored were that extraordinary, to be honest. It's just uh, goals that Dortmund score. You know, just, just, you know, a pass behind the defense is just what they do, sort of. And, uh, you know, if if you are like Augsburg, you're naive and play with a high line and you don't drop back quick enough, if you're even able to against these sort of players, then uh, you're going to get punished. And I personally, I can't see... Any team in the, in the league to to just play with a low block an entire ninety minutes and get away with it against Dortmund um, anymore. I just don't not with a not with a poacher like him. So um, obviously there will be you know the one shit host scoreless draw here and there or even a sucker punch uh, zero one you know loss for Dortmund. That's tragic, um, but um, you know at least against Union Berlin. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall a, a very um, nice performance. And what's obviously the, the best part about this match day is that uh, RB Leipzig lost uh, away to Eintracht Frankfurt. And um, you have to really give it to Eintracht Frankfurt there because they uh, managed to basically nullify Leipzig. I've watched the second half and apart from one Timo Werner chance that he blasted over the bar. Um, and there wasn't much there. And even though Leipzig basically had to win and had to come back, um, after conceding very early in the, in the second half, uh, Frankfurt just stayed very disciplined, defended with a lot of hustle and did not make any errors and then got uh, rewarded with, I think, a Kostic goal basically very late in the game that decided it. And, uh, I think Leipzig had a quite impressive run i think they scored like f four goals in five games in a row or so um and 
then to stop this team and to force a clean sheet is, is quite impressive, especially given the attacking talent that uh, Leipzig have. And now Dortmund are four points away from the league leaders and everything moved a bit closer together again, while uh, obviously Schalke lost to Bayern. What was it? 5-0? So... Yes, yes, and, and definitely deserve yeah, five nil was, there. Um I think that was the right uh result at the right time for Schalke that they are reminded who they are. And uh, you know, because that was an absolute terrible performance and what uh, I like the most about it is that the uh, first goal that Bayern scored, that Lewandowski scored, uh, was obviously of a goalkeeper mistake. Schubert screwed up there and uh, with all the controversy around Alex Sander Nübel, that just more salt in the Schalke wound. So I very much enjoy that. And uh, yeah, I think we can we can conclude the Bundesliga talk or suspend it for now before we uh, preview the Union Berlin match. But um, today, a lot of things are happening on the transfer market and uh, Paco Alcacer has left Dortmund now having scored 26 goals and forces in 47 appearances for the Black and Yellows. And I personally have to say I'm a little bit sad to see him leave because um, of all the promise that he brought. But um, in the end, Matthias, um, I think the conclusion has to be if he is homesick and doesn't have the mindset to tell himself, you know, I will fight for my position or whatever at, at the club like Borussia Dortmund and then join Villarreal, it's probably for the best to to let him go. Um, I've read the um, transfer fee is around 23 million, which I think is is low, but also tells me that Dortmund really wanted to, you know, trade him apparently. Yeah, I mean, it's 23 million plus the bonuses push it up to 30 million. Uh, 23 million is what Dortmund paid for him, so they got their money back. Um, and, and I really enjoyed seeing Paco Alcacer play, uh, up until this season. <laughs> He's not been very enjoyable to watch this season. Uh, very injury prone player. And you could just tell he just, he wasn't digging it, and and uh, all reports are his training has been lax. He was really off in in the winter uh, training camp. And uh, listening to Michael Zorc today, who said, you know, this this was really difficult for us. You know, we valued the player, we liked the player, but at the end of the day, like you said, if a player, if it's beyond wanting to leave, you know, not like a Obama Young or Usman Dembele kind of a thing, but it's, he's genuinely, um, emotionally and mentally, it hurts him to be away from home. Then you don't stand in an, in a human's way. In a situation like that, you take player and all that stuff out of it. He's a human being. He misses home. He misses Spain. He's happiest when he's there. And that's totally understandable. It's totally fine. Now, the uh, usual BFOB Twitter trolls came out. Oh, it's such a Dortmund thing to say. We finally got a striker, a second striker. Now we sell a striker. How stupid are we? And, you know, those people are all idiots. <laughs> but, um, you know, Lucien Favre, because they asked him, I said, okay, you had two strikers, now you're back down to one. What are you going to do? And Favre said, well, we have different options. We've played with Sancho up there. We've played with Togan Hazard up there. We've played with Götze up there. We've, I mean, Royce has played up there, especially in the system that they're playing right now. I think 
it lends itself to being able uh, to have more flexibility because let's be honest, uh, with Gutsa kind of being out of form and Paco being non-existent until Haaland came in, they really didn't have a nominal striker and they still scored plenty of goals. Um, I mean, they, they scored three goals without Haaland up there, without that traditional striker. So it's it's annoying because Paco, of course, came onto the scene, uh, you know, just blazing through and scoring goals. I mean, that's, I remember the goal against uh, Manuel Baum's Augsburg that gave Dortmund that win from that free kick right at the death, uh, which was really harsh on Augsburg at the time, to be honest. Um, but I'm okay with it. Uh, I wish him all the best. It was great to have him here. And it's a little bit like, you know, Mark Bartra after, um, you know, after the, the bombing incident, he just became very homesick and wanted to be home. And then you're just not there and, and it affects you, uh, psychologically and from a mental health standpoint. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, I'm not concerned about it. And people who then criticize Dortmund or Tsoak for selling him, they can go do one. Well, I very much agree with that sentiment. And uh, I, I like that you highlight the uh, human side of the game. But uh, that all being said, I would appreciate if Dortmund had another striker. Just, uh, you know, as a backup. Because um, in in some games, it, it's just something you, you can't replace. Um, but that being said, um, now that Dortmund play in the 3-4-3 system, um, and I don't know how this will change and we can talk about this uh, in, in a later segment, but um, they have finally found a system in, in which they play where they don't really need that sort of striker necessarily and they're still very good in the, in the way they play in lethal and... Um, I would always say it's more important to have a back three with Zagadou and uh, the first phase of the build-up um, basically wrapped up than the third phase of the build-up because uh, Dortmund have that much individual quality that uh, if they can uh, control the game, keep possession and then uh, open up uh, you know, opponents and, and hand the ball to a Julian Brandt or so, um, that's, I think, at least in my list of priorities, priorities it's higher than uh having that out and out striker there obviously it would be nice to have another number nine in the squad just uh, because but um at least right now it's it's a better situation with only one striker for Dortmund than at the start of the season I would say and that I, I guess is a positive thing and I'm trying to look at the positives here but I can understand everyone who is a little bit bitter about the fact that Dortmund only have one striker when they themselves said at that uh, members assembly that we've analyzed our uh, first half of the season and the biggest mistake we've made was not to bring in the second striker and then they bring in the second striker and then they sell one and then they're back at square one so um, I can understand that frustration and there are obviously Dortmund fans who uh think that another number nine is essential and I don't want to disagree with them because um, I, I think that that logic does apply in, in, in some situations of the game. So um, I, I agree. I totally agree. It'd be great to have a backup decent striker, but it's not like Dortmund went out and shopped around 
Paco Alcácer. I feel like this is something that kind of got thrown at them and in the winter uh, period uh, where it's so it's not so much that Dortmund sold Paco Alcácer. It's so much that Paco Alcácer left Dortmund. You know, I mean, it's semantics, but it does make a difference. They weren't like, okay, well, we've got Haaland. Now we can sell Paco. I mean, obviously they have Haaland and they went, okay, we, we can kind of afford to sell him. If, if they wouldn't have gotten Haaland, they wouldn't be selling Paco Alcácer. Um, even with him being sad, just because you just can't. That would be crazy. Um, but, uh, it would be great if they could find one. I don't think they will. Uh, cause I don't think you're going to find a lot of semi-established strikers who say, yeah, sure. I'll be behind a 19 year old. <laughs> um, that's fine. No, no problems there. Uh, and I don't know what, you know, I mean, the age restriction for the Bundesliga is they do have to be over the age of 16 to play. <laughs> so, uh, find a 17 or an 18 year old, uh, that will learn from the veteran 19 year old Erling Holland. Um, <clears throat> might be a little, little fanciful at this point, but I, I think Dortmund will be fine. Having another striker would be better than not having another striker. I totally agree there, but it's not, again, it's not like you could just sense from Michael Zorc's reaction that it was like, yeah, this was really tough for us. We didn't really want this, but it's for the for the better of the player, of the person, Paco Alcacer, who's done a lot of great things in a very short period of time. Because you mentioned how many goals he scored in the go- games he played, which is also a phenomenal strike rate. If you think about the fact that this season, he really hasn't been that great. Yeah, well, I mean, that was a down to, to injury, I would say. And obviously, his form, his scoring form was always going to regress to the mean at, at some point. Um but yeah, um, you, you could just sense that he didn't feel as, as comfortable in his skin anymore. And I think that sort of affected his game. And then obviously, um, you get the injuries and then just the, the coach not betting on you anymore. I mean, he was already, um, a French player before Haaland joined basically because Favre said, I'm going to play Mark Royce up top with uh, my 343 system. And, uh, you know, that was just bad luck for Alcasa in, in that way. So, yeah, I can understand it. Um, it's, it's a bit annoying because, um, in many ways to me, he is an elite striker. Um, the, just the, the way he can finish and, uh, his footballing IQ and obviously the, uh, direct free kick technique is something that Domo will miss. Uh, but if you are not completely in it to win it, then uh, that's that's a bigger overarching problem that you just can't easily fix. So um, yeah, I do wonder if Dortmund, you know, can draw another striker out of the heads before the end of the transfer window. I would wouldn't really think that's going to happen. I also didn't think that anyone would pay the asking price. Um, but then again, 23 million isn't as high as I valued Paco Alcasa. I thought he would at least cost 30 million. But here we are. And I guess that uh, leads us to the player that I hope Dortmund will sign, uh, because we're going to talk about him. That's Emre Can, who was one meter, 84, 74 kilos or six foot and 163 pounds. He is 26 years old and born in Frankfurt am Main. So he is uh, from Germany. He has played seven games for Bayern because uh, he joined uh, from Eintracht Frankfurt to the Bayern Munich youth uh, in his in his youth, and then thirty nine 
Games for Bayer Leverkusen, 167 for Liverpool, 45 for Juventus and 25 caps for Germany. So for a 26-year-old, I would say that is a lot of experience. Um, and I think he, you know, has even the uh, Champions League and the DFB Pokal and Bundesliga trophies attributed to his uh, autograph card because he was part of that Bayern team that won the Champions League in 2013, which we will otherwise never mention here. Um, he has played on several positions in his career. Um, he has played in central midfield, defensive midfield, um, mostly for, for Juventus in his career, but he has also played as a left back, as a right back, as a center back, and then on those half uh, back spots, especially for Germany. Um, that being said, he hasn't played as a center back since 2016 or only played there five times and uh, three four um germany and that's a bit of an issue because i assume that Dortmund will see him on on that center back position and uh, apparently he is uh ready to take a wage cut down to 10 million uh to join Dortmund. so um my question to you Matthias, since he is a very eclectic player, can play several positions and might be a bit of a stopgap player here and there. Um, is he a rich man's Gonzalo Castro? Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, he's a bit of a Swiss army knife, uh, but obviously he's significantly better than Gonzalo Castro. Um, you know, I read that as well that, uh, you know, he's taking a pay cup to come to Dortmund, which I always find refreshing i mean yes he's still a millionaire but uh taking a pay cut to come to play for dortmund means he really wants to play plus he also wants to keep his hopes alive to play for germany in the next uh this summer at the euros um yeah we didn't mention that yeah. factor in uh, alcazar's decision it's but true. i think that's that that's a factor true absolutely and you know, I also read that uh, the reports on Kika were that uh, Dortmund are looking at him to play in the back line, which I'll be honest, I find a little surprising. Um, I I personally would rather see him in midfield because <laughs> I think there his his dynamism um, would truly shine. Uh, plus, you can. Uh, you know, he's not a playmaker like Witzel is. He's he's uh, a more dynamic and creative and technically gifted Thomas Delaney, uh, if you were. Uh, you know, kind of that prototypical, powerful box-to-box -box guy. Um, even though Jürgen Klopp did move him into the back, back line a few times at Liverpool. And he played okay there, actually. Um, so that versatility is nice because you can make quick changes to your system that's the one thing Dortmund have now they have total flexibility they could play the 3-4-3 they could play a, a 3-5-2 they could play a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 with the personnel packages that they have on a set match day there are not many teams that are able to do that because they have the players that can quickly adjust to new systems and new positions um and and as such, uh, he adds that 
I'm not going to say the missing element, but definitely that flexibility that other guys don't have. I mean, Witzel is who he is. You're not going to put Witzel anywhere but where he plays. Uh, Brandt is a little bit more flexible. You know, Royce, Azad, they're a little bit more flexible. Guerrero's a little flexible. Uh, Zagadou, Akanji, maybe. Hummel's not at all. Piszczek, maybe a little bit. But you throw in Emre Can, who can really play in any of those positions. Um, uh, aside from, from obviously in the striking, the, the attacking zone, uh, I, I don't see a downside to this. Uh, I think he adds way more to the squad. I, I saw some people saying, Oh, you know, we sell Feigl and then we bring in Chan. It's like, well, they're two completely different players. Um, and I don't foresee Emre Chan getting absolutely gassed. Uh, on one-on-ones over and over and over again. So you can put him in the back line with the confidence that he's not really going to get outpaced that often. Um, he's not going to get pushed off the ball because Weigel's not a physically imposing player. Emre Chan is a significantly more physical player. Uh, and again, if you need to put Brandt further up, you can slot him next to Witzel and you have that that potential dynamic that you have with Delaney, but with significantly more quality. So I'm all for this. I hope it comes through. Uh, and, and I think uh, it adds another layer of quality uh, to Borussia Dortmund. You know, I was never a huge fan of Emre Can. I, I honestly have to say, sometimes I just thought that this uh, first touch let him down a little bit. And uh, sometimes I thought he was a little bit too simplistic in in his play in that uh, in that way that uh, he I don't know if you want to call it risk averse, and um, but not in the Weigel way. Just um, you know, I don't know. Some some sometimes it it left me quite uninspired, and sometimes I thought he he made a couple of position uh, positional errors that were you know not I don't know. Sometimes I thought his footballing IQ wasn't all that great, but um. You know, that were my observations from the Leverkusen and Liverpool time. And I don't know on what level Emre Can is now. He has obviously uh, gone through the uh, Italian school of thought. So I'm I'm just, uh, I don't know. I'm keeping an open mind. I'm not super excited about this transfer. Like I would be, uh, you know, about Haaland transfer, obviously. But uh, that all being said, um, I think he is a very capable Bundesliga player. And um, if you want to slot him as the the right center half of in in the back three or so, um, if Akanji goes on you know an endless error spree or so, um, I I think that's that's a good idea and a good alternative um, because you know. As much as it pains me to say, but Lukas Piszczek's days are pretty much counted. Um, you know, he is getting gas as, as you would say on, on that position. And yeah. So it's, it's, it's another very uh, nifty tool in, in the toolbox. And, um, I also think that he has the, you know, correct work mentality on, on the pitch. And I, believe that he will will be liked by Dortmund fans overall um he is maybe not the most uh, the fanciest players when it comes to technical abilities but I think he makes up for it in other ways and uh yeah 
It's it's a bit sad on on the other hand because you you just know that uh, this also sort of means the end for Thomas Delaney at Dortmund. I don't see how these two players can coexist for for a longer period of time in in the squad. I just think uh, that makes Thomas Delaney a little bit obsolete. I don't know how you see it, but uh, yeah, I I just like I agree. Thomas Delaney personally personally a lot, but uh, you know you have to just see what what it is and uh un unless you only you know you exclusively stick chan as a as a defender which might make sense i don't know um then yeah i i think his days are a little bit counted or you know can't can't say a little bit they're counted absolutely i agree on all accounts thomas delaney super guy really likable uh really busts his butt um And I, I've always said this. I mean, you go back to even Sebastian Kiel or, or Money Benda, who weren't the most technically gifted players, but they were workhorses and they were leaders. And that's what uh, Thomas Delaney, that's, that's, uh, Emre Chan fits that same kind of mold. And you do need those players. You can't just have the out and out technically uber gifted players. You also need those, those James Milners. Uh, in your squad, the workhorse kind of guy. Um, and I think Liverpool would be worse off without a James Milner type person in there. And I think Dortmund needs that as well. And it speaks to the mentality, the malocha, the worker mentality, um, that, that Dortmund is, that, that Dortmund supporters have. And that's why I agree with you. That's why I think Thomas Delaney was liked. Uh, but given that Emery Chan is a higher quality player, I think he may be liked a little more. It's <laughs> just because, you know, he has that, that work ethic. Plus, he's, he's better. He's a better player. Um, so I, yeah, it'd be a shame to see Thomas Delaney go. It's unfortunate for him because obviously, This, this whole thing comes about also because of the fact that he got hurt on international duty. So, you know, I mean, that it, it's, it's just unfortunate for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. He's not going to go anywhere this transfer window, but, uh, his, I, I'm pretty sure if Chan comes that Delaney will go in the summer. Yeah. Also, you have to account for the fact that. Julian Brandt, uh, or that Lucien Favre, let's put it this way, has, has finally realized that uh, Julian Brandt's strongest position is the number eight. And, uh, you can obviously pair Brandt up with Thomas Delaney in midfield. You can play that double pivot. Um, and I think you can have a Chan Brandt midfield and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but all that being said is, uh, you know, if, if I have to set up this team, Both Witzel and, and Brandt are still my, my first two options for the double pivot. And it's just very hard for a guy like Thomas Delaney to break through. Um, we all know that, that, uh, Favre has a fable for the Witzel Delaney double pivot, but I have to honestly say that, uh, yeah, is, uh, I, I hope a thing of the past because that's just a little bit too, uh, yeah. I don't even have a word for too too stale. Let's just put it this way. So um yeah, I I hope uh, this segment isn't in vain that uh, for some reason the deal falls through. Um I think Dortmund are trying to sign him on loan and then uh, buy him next se at the end of the season or whatever. Um but it it sounded like the Alcacer uh, transfer hinged on the Emre Can transfer. So I hope it's either going to be announced still tonight. Uh, which would be late or at some point tomorrow. Um, 
So yeah, we'll, we'll see. But um, if if it happens, uh, I think it's it's a savvy addition. And um, to make an overall point, to conclude on an overall point, I would say for Dortmund, it's smart and savvy to trade an attacker for a defender if you want to see it that way because um, scoring goals was not really the issue and if you have a player that's, that has uh, the uh, skill and and the uh, talent to improve Dortmund's defensive record, then I'm all for that because that's exactly what Dortmund need to improve and Emre Can has a lot of experience and has seen a lot of different uh, uh, stadiums already. So... um yeah, this guy isn't easily thrown. So I'm overall happy about this transfer, but not excited. So, uh, and with being happy and not excited, I think we can also move on to the next home game, which is against Union Berlin on what I would say is a very important match day because um, we will have in the top spiel Gladbach play Leipzig, the two of the three teams that are ahead of Dortmund, which... Uh, will mean that Dortmund can make either ground up on Gladbach or Leipzig or both. So very important match day for Dortmund. And of course, Union Berlin right now are in 11th place, have 23 points, 7 wins, 2 draws and 10 losses. And this is going to be a game where I say it's a must-win game, but at the same time, uh, not anything that's guaranteed because we all know how... Union Berlin basically have made it a thing by now to travel to Dortmund and, uh, you know, be upsetting. Yeah, I mean, DFB-Pokal. Um, obviously, they haven't done it in the Bundesliga yet. Uh, the the thing about Union Berlin is, uh, you know, I like the story of the club. I abhor how they play. It's it's like <laughs> Darmstadt flashbacks. Um uh, the amount of long balls they play for the second ball, they shit house the hell out of matches. I mean, I just looked past, looked through the stats of the last three matches, uh, two losses to Düsseldorf and Leipzig, and then of course a two nil victory against an actually pretty decent Augsburg uh, performance, and they just foul the hell out of their opponents, and then they score a lot off of set pieces and long ball, knockdown, second ball. That's how they play. That's how they will play against Dortmund. They will play with an intense pressing and long balls. Um, but it's, of course, a totally different Dortmund versus the last time they played against Union Berlin, because obviously Union Berlin were really up for it at the time. Uh, totally different Dortmund system, different player personnel package. Brandt hadn't yeah, shown up what, yet. What, what applied, the theory that I said uh, at the very start of the show, what applied against Cologne also applies against Union Berlin, because what yeah. Union Berlin did in this game is basically took that Cologne blueprint and then just killed Dortmund. Yeah, and you know, I mean, they scored three goals off of three set pieces, including one of them was a longer throw-in. Uh, but that was a Dortmund when Brandt hadn't shown up yet, when um, obviously there was no Holland. Um, the the defense was still playing a back four and still finding themselves. Uh, there was no Torgan Hazard yet. Um, you know, Marco Reus 
was struggling for form. I feel like he's found his form again. Sancho was just starting his dip in form. He's definitely found his form again. Um, and so it's a completely different Dortmund. It's the exact same damn Union Berlin. Now, they added Yunus Mali, who's more a creative player, but he hasn't played yet for them. So, okay. Um, there, it's going to be a very... How do I put this? It's going to be a an annoying game, to say the least. Uh, I I tortured myself by watching Augsburg against Union Berlin, uh, <laughs> which um, I think Augsburg can feel a little hard done by not at least getting a point out of it. That's not saying Union Berlin didn't deserve to win, but you know, Subotic's corner goal was kind of unlucky you know it was a, an assist from an Augsburg player that that allowed Subotic to score but hey you always cheer for for Nevin Subotic um but they're gonna foul they're gonna sit deep they're gonna play for set pieces but with this 3-4-3 with the back line that has some pace and Akanji and Zagadou being able to deal with with pace and that frees up Hummels to do his thing uh, with having Holland and Azard and Brandt and Royce and Sancho and all the moving parts you have there, the creativity on the wingbacks, uh, I think Dortmund will win this match. Um, but it's going to be, oh, it's going to be patience needed. It's going to be painful at times. And the key that Dortmund has to, has to, has to do is they have to stay focused and switched on at every set piece and they have to try their damnedest to not give away stupid set piece situations against Union Berlin because they are going to be playing for it. That is what they are going to do. And I'm looking right at you, Hakimi. Don't, don't do that foul in, in Sancho and Guerrero, you know, where they get caught out of position, stick a leg out and make that mistake. Don't be that guy. And I think if you're not that guy, then Dortmund's going to win it. And I think they're going to win it comfortably, even if it's going to be the physios will be out after the match and ice down a lot of Dortmund players. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, probably a very good prediction about the physios that uh, this is not going to be a comfortable match for Dortmund players. But, uh, you know, it's Bundesliga and you will play against these teams and... You know, it's for, for Dortmund. This need needs to be a win. Um, that all being said, I really do wonder how Dortmund will set up and how um, that uh, they they will. So, my question is, I would I would say Haaland starts in this game, right? The question is now, who do you take out? Um, I think. My best guess would be Hazard, and my best guess is that Dortmund don't switch to a four-two-three-one, but but stay um, with back three. But the system changes into a three-four-two-one, with then Sancho and Royce behind Haaland instead of having a three-four-three um, that you just move basically uh, Haaland just up top. Um, I don't, I don't know. Otherwise, um, you would have Royce and Sancho more on the wing. Maybe we'll see that, but I think, um, there's merit in having these two players more centrally and then just letting Guerrero and Hakimi doing the wing work, if you will. I don't know how that works out against Union Berlin. I don't know in what system and what setup they will play. I assume they will also 
have a back five. So um, this is obviously something um, that Dortmund also have to sort of find themselves in. So this is where I could see potential for a struggle just from a tactical standpoint because it's not a system that Dortmund play that much, even though it's just a tiny um, thing you change. But I, I think it can have a, a quite quite the impact. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, Matthias, I'm very eager to hear your thoughts on uh, how Lucien Favre should solve the... Uh, um, addition of Holland into the starting lineup because uh, you will have to take one of the players out that uh, are all in, in very good form and uh, I mean he could just switch to a back four but that would also be heartbreaking um, so it's it's a tough decision because I personally wouldn't want to take Hazard out right now in the form he is in so um, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree with everything you said, because you are a wise man. Um, the uh, Hazard is a, the obvious candidate to take out. I do believe you need to play Haaland in this match, because you need that more direct, uh, also a little bit more physical presence to deal uh, with the slow but physical back line or back three um, of, of uh, Union Berlin. I would not recommend uh, Favre go to a back four because, uh, at least against Augsburg, you had um, Union Berlin playing with two strikers up top, and and that can create some issues, as we know, especially because Hummels isn't going to be put on the bench. Uh, but if you have Hummels, Akanji, Zagadou, back three, I think they can handle uh, the strikers from Union Berlin. And the nice thing is with Union Berlin playing the system that they do, you're not going to get a ton of overloads getting over and behind Dortmund's wingbacks. So that helps. Uh, Union Berlin probably try to clock the middle a little bit, but that'll open up the wings and then you'll have a little bit more movement. So I agree with you on that 3-4-2-1 system with Haaland up top. You've got to play Royce, who's who's back in form. You have to play Sancho. Unfortunately, you have to drop Hazard. So of the three players that are in form, Hazard is the one you're most likely to drop. You you play Holland, and then um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Hazard then come in eventually and take Holland off, depending on how the situation unfolds during the match, um, or Sancho or Royce off in uh, in that matter. But uh, that's that's how I would set it up, and I think that plays to Dortmund's strengths and helps offset some of Dortmund's weaknesses, but exposes some of Union Berlin's weaknesses. But you can't give away those free kicks. <laughs> yeah, what I would also say, and, uh, you know, this name hasn't appeared in a very long time under Lucien Favre, but um, if if you have Haaland there and obviously Royce in form, what you could do also, um, if, say, Jaden Sancho needs to go out or or you want to give him a rest, um, in the in the last moments of the game, and obviously you could uh, do that with Torgen Hazard as well. But um, you could bring on Mario Götze and switch from a three four two one to a three four one two. Create the number ten position for Götze, and then put Haaland and Royce up front, or Haaland next next to Hazard, or Hazard and Royce, and then have uh, Götze in the number ten slot. Um, especially in like the last 20 minutes or so that would uh, 
adds another different complexity to the game, which will ask a couple of questions of an opponent if Dortmund needs to score more goals, which I assume uh, they won't. I believe this is going to be a game where Dortmund are already like 2-0 up at halftime or so. Um, it's going to be a very labored performance. It's not going to be, uh, you know, the, the razzle dazzle Dortmund team we, we saw against Cologne where it's chance after chance. Um, maybe this, maybe you can just break on your Berlin spirit at some point that it's just going to be wave after attack. Um, uh, uh, so I don't, I don't know, but and anything can happen with this Dortmund team. They have so much quality and skill, obviously, but I just don't see it. Um, to me, that's a, a tactical quip that you can use um, also when you bring on Dahoud at some point or so, because apparently he has uh, pipped Götze in, in the packing order right now on the Favre. I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but, uh, you know, just just spitballing here of, of different formations that you can try out with a striker like Haaland. And uh, I think having a player like Marco Royce um, playing him a little bit further up top also won't hurt. So um, if you if you sacrifice wing play in that form and just say Guerrero and Hakimi have it covered, um, then I I, I think you can uh, yeah pluck in these players off the, off the bench if you will. Because to me that's going forward the the most important thing is that Dortmund even if you start Holland that uh, you bring players off the bench that can really help and make an impact. And I still see Mario Götze as a player like that. And I also think Torgen Hazard, if he doesn't start, is a player like that. So, um, and I would also say this could be a game where you can bring on Nico Schulz, for example, for Guerrero. So if he gets tired, because I think there will be a space on the wings for Dortmund inevitably and Nico Schulz just pump the ball back into the box or have a nice cutback here and there. So, um, I, I see a lot of situations, um, where Dortmund can, uh, hurt Union Berlin. And I think if not next game against Bayer Leverkusen or I think in between there's the, there's a cup match against Werder Bremen. Um, it's also about time we're talking about set pieces and um, that Mats Hummels freaking scores a set piece. Um, I think he owes us all that. So against Union Berlin, maybe even uh, being marked by Nevin Subotic, that could be a situation where Mats Hummels finally converts. He has been close many times um, and I feel like there could just be a set piece goal from Dortmund this time. I don't know about you, Matthias, but uh, that's that are just my predictions, and I I just pray to God that uh, Bülter won't score uh, outrageous goals against Dortmund again. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. You know, I had to think back uh, to obviously, you know, early seasons different than now, um, but uh, when Union Berlin's welcome to the Bundesliga on match day one, when they got absolutely destroyed by Leipzig. Leipzig at that time were still playing with a back three with the Nagelsmann system. Um, so that exposed a lot of Union Berlin's weaknesses. But again, that was the first match day. A lot has changed since then. Players get more used to, used to things, uh, and find a groove. But that does, that does give you, give me at least a little bit of hope that, uh, that that type of system with that quality of player, uh, can, can make a difference. Uh, so I feel actually, um, fairly comfortable with a an uncomfortable victory this weekend. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just about the three points and then, uh, you know, focusing on, on, uh, Werder Bremen and Bayer Leverkusen. Those are, uh, two crucial games, obviously one in the cup and then just, uh, you know, if Dortmund beat Bayer Leverkusen, then they're, they're really, you know, back in the race, I would say. Um, but, uh, yeah. You have to beat on your Berlin first, obviously. That's uh, a crucial game for them. And uh, my prediction is a 3-1 win for Dortmund. Uh, I'm going to go one better and say clean sheet. 3-0 victory for Dortmund this weekend. All right. All right. Fair enough. So um, I guess that wraps up our show. We are already over the hour mark. Uh, So Matthias, please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on the interwebs. Yes, you can find me on the Twitter uh, at Matthiasuk. Yes, you can find me on Twitter as well at Stefan Butzko. If you want to get in touch with all of us, please do so via Facebook or Twitter at Pod is the handle. And if you want to contribute like Mark or the Norway B4B fan club, then go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall and find more information there. And if you want to subscribe to our written content, just do the same or go to the yellowwall.net where you can find it. And uh, for people that have set their phone in English, you can also access that content via the one football app. So you don't have to pay one buck a month for the paywall if you don't want. You can also download the one football app because we can also monetize our content that way, even though it's not a lot, but, um, you know, that's also a possibility. If you want to subscribe to the podcast in multiple ways, then please do that via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and, uh, Spotify. And I think there's still a little asterisk to Spotify because they are not updating as quick as I like. And obviously you can also find us on YouTube where we have breached the 100 subscriber mark. So everyone who's subscribing to our show via YouTube, thank you very much. And that's it for this week. Until next time, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.